let's talk about um, thermodynamics. <laughs> this is the scientific study of the transfer of energy, or, or really the transfer of heat is what it is. And there's some laws in thermodynamics. And here's the second law of thermodynamics. And, uh, you know, it may, it may be hard to hear. Uh, maybe something happened with the media. It looks like, it looks like something got disconnected back there because we're, we're on a total blank screen. Okay, but listen to this. Entropy. Are you bored yet? Is randomness. The sense of randomness. The entropy of an isolated natural system will always tend to stay the same or increase. In other words, listen to this part. The energy in the universe is gradually moving towards disorder. That's the second law of thermodynamics. The energy of the universe is naturally drifting towards disorder, as you can see. If you don't believe this, think about your car. If you don't pay attention to your car, trash accumulates. A film of dust comes over the dashboard. Some of you have illnesses and sicknesses and you haven't realized you just haven't dusted your dashboard in a long time. Straw wrappers multiply like they have babies. This is what happens. The universe is naturally drifting towards disorder. And so our lives are the same way. We just kind of naturally drift. We look up one day and a season has ended, a year has ended, maybe a decade's ended, and we feel like we've not made progress. Hey, I've been there. You've been there. Today, what I'm believing is that God's going to help us all kind of wake us up and give us hope for the future. We're going to look at the story of Jesus being baptized in water and see this as a model of setting things in order. And this is, you know, you made an effort to be here this morning. You made an effort to be here. And part of being here, you're setting things in order. You're, you're putting God first at the beginning of the week. And you're, you're making him a priority. So way to go. So you're already moving towards more order in your life. And a, there, there's a quote I'm going to share with you in a couple of minutes. It's from uh, a guy who used to be high up in Yahoo, especially when Yahoo was in the late 90s at its peak. And then he now is a famous speaker. And he talks about something called sideway years. And he's used this concept in, in coaching and mentoring people. And here's a quote talking about the sideway years because it really impacted me. Talking to one of his mentees, he described a year he failed to move forward in any part of his life. Have you ever been there? One of those years that just nothing happens? In other words, he had experienced his first sideways year. At that point, this is Tim Sanders talking now, I knew I could help him. He had only had one of those years. I'd had 15 of them in a row. My sideways years had stretched from my early 20s to my mid-30s, and I was proof positive that you can fill your tank back up and come roaring back. Well, after a sideways season in my life, 
that was a quote that helped me. Because we all need inspiration. We need information. We need coaches, teachers, motivational speakers, and drill sergeants. We need self-help, self-actualization, and self-discipline. We need another chance, and another chance, and still another chance. And most of all, we need the Holy Spirit. He is the one who teaches us. He is the one who comforts us. He is the one who empowers us. So if you've already failed at your New Year's resolution, this sermon's for you. If you don't know the next step, Jesus is for you. And guys, we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. We're going to finish this day and have a good day. And we're going to have a good week. And we're going to have a good year. Because God is watching over us and helping us and loving us. No mistake you've made is fatal. No mistake you've made is final. No misjudgment, no misstep is going to ruin you because God is watching you and he's taking care of you. Sometimes the smallest things produce the biggest changes. It may have been a phone call like the one we just read about. It may be a quote in a book. It may be listening to a sermon on a random January like this. Jesus' baptism was sudden. It kind of surprised John, the Baptist. Um, It seemed, from everything I know, and it seemed to be an ordinary day. It seemed to kind of spring up unexpectedly, like John was, was doing his work, and all of a sudden he said, now look, behold the Lamb of God. It's like, baptism, baptism, baptism. Jesus, right? It just kind of popped up. Jesus set things in order. His coming, his advent, his ministry, his death and resurrection, and his work today. Listen, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is setting things in order in our life. He's setting the the universe in order, the earth in order, but he's setting our hearts in order too. So we keep turning to Jesus. We keep, keep going to the table of the Lord. We keep drawing from the word of God. We keep reorientating ourselves to scripture because this is part of the work of Jesus to set things in order. His entire life and even his work today sets things in order. So as we look at this story, I'm gonna give you four suggestions today how to set things in order in your life. And here's the first one, write it down. Humbly submit to the process. Humbly submit to the process. This is gonna help some of you so much today because some of you are not advancing in life and you're not getting things done and you're not stepping into God's will for your life because you're too prideful and rebellious to jump through the hoops. Like you think, you think that you are so unique that you don't have to go through the system. You don't have to follow the rules. You think that you don't have to do things others do. And so because of that, you've been in sideways years. So impressed with yourself, but no one else is that impressed. My, my daughter's fifth grade teacher said something that really impacted me. 
She said, you know, one of the things I want the kids to learn this year is to find out what I want and make me happy. And I thought, well, that's the most arrogant thing I've ever heard. Then she said, but that's what they have to do to be successful in life. You find out what your boss wants and you make them happy. Okay. And, and I have just noticed that so many people in our, in our atmosphere of individualism and self-realization, I believe in all that. And you know, that, that's, another, that's another sermon, right? I'm talking about, I'm making this point today. I, I just, just so many people refuse uh, to logically do what they're supposed to do, and then they don't get what they want to get. Okay, and so there's just certain hoops in life you kind of jump through without losing your heart, without losing your individualism, without losing who you are. And so here's a question I have for you guys today. What is it that will get you to the next step in life, but you're too prideful to do? I'll ask it again. What is it that will get you to the next step in life, but you are too prideful to do? Well, this is what Jesus did, Matthew 3.13. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Guys, this was completely unnecessary of Jesus from our perspective. I mean, he's Jesus, right? Why is he being baptized by John? He created John. Why is he submitting to John? I mean, because he is... We now know through the full scope of scripture and what he did through the resurrection. I mean, he's the one who created all things. He's the one who's in charge of all things. But yet he chose for a particular reason to be baptized in water. And it's like, this is the process. This is the way God's touching hearts. This is the way God's doing his work. And Jesus, even though I don't have to do it, I'm going to do it. He did it for you and I as an example to us. And, and so... I know this, like, you don't have to be baptized in water to go to heaven. Let's just, we'll just make it real, real plain there. I mean, and there's all types of scriptural reasons for that. But if you're a believer and you believe in Jesus and you won't be baptized in water because of pride, man, I just want to challenge you on that. I want to challenge you. Why is it that you don't want to go through the process that Jesus set as an example that every believer in the Bible was baptized, that we know of from the book of Acts on, why wouldn't you want to do that? that that's more of the question. Now, guys, we've worked with people, because I understand people like have phobia of water. Hey, I'll sprinkle you. I don't care. I've never done it before, but I'm like wanting to. I'm like, please, God, give someone with a phobia of water so I can sprinkle them. <laughs> Tells you how mature I am, right? Sprinkling started in, in the Middle Ages when they didn't have warm sources and clean sources of water. But the idea is to be covered by the water. I've met people at church before service when there was just a dozen or less of us who and baptized them as witnesses because they didn't want to do it for whatever reason in front of the whole crowd. I'm giving you examples, not because I want extra work, but I'm talking about that yes in your heart that says, I, wanna, I just want to obey God. I just want to obey God. I just, I just want to do what I was supposed to. And we'll work through the systems. We'll work and, and, and we'll work through the systems and we'll do what we have to do. And like, I don't want you now to do it because I made you feel bad about yourself. 
I want you to have a, I want there to be that drive in you that says, I just want to obey God. I want to humble myself. I'll go through the process. In the first couple of years we were here at this church, we didn't have offices. Uh, and my office was like somewhere back there by that communion table. And so when people would come and have meetings with me, we'd go to the other side of the room because we had other employees in here. It was crazy. And, and I remember this one guy moved from out of state. And he was older than me, you know, probably 30 years older than me. And he was an ordained pastor. And basically, he wanted to meet with me and said, hey, I don't want to go through the CIL forward classes. He didn't say it quite like that. It took him about 15 minutes to say that. I go, well, why not? And he said, well, because I'm an ordained minister and I've been a pastor all these years and all this stuff. And, and I don't know what made me decide to do this at age 30. I said, you know what I think you have? I think you have pride. He said, why do you say that? Like, why aren't you willing to go through the process? And then I felt kind of bad for saying that, and I started saying nice things to him after that. <laughs> a couple weeks, he kept coming to the church, and a couple weeks later, uh, he saw me. He said, hey, tough guy. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, you're a tough guy. You told me like it is, and I needed to hear it. It's like, well, good. I'm glad it worked out this time. <laughs> and he ended up being a real blessing to our church. He moved on years ago, but he, he's a great man, and um, and, and I've been that prideful person way more than him. Opportunities in front of you. Follow Jesus. He's not too good. He's not too good to do what he's supposed to do. Here's the second one. Pass through people's resistance. Verse 14. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. This was actually, lets us know that John had revelation. He knew who Jesus was. This is a good thing. And John, John, John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John allowed him to be baptized. Now, this is not a sermon about water baptism, but while we're here, I, I will tell you that's a biblical basis of, of why it's a good thing to be baptized in water. It fulfills righteousness. Like there's something missing in your life if you're not willing to be baptized. There, there's just some, something's missing in your life. This fulfills all righteousness. And by the way, we're, we're having baptisms on February 2nd. So I guess this is opportunistic in some way. <laughs> So let me ask you this question. Who's resisting you and who is limiting you and you need to move past their voice and follow the voice of God? It's, it's, it's an important question because it doesn't always apply directly. It's situational. So hear this. What I'm telling you is situational. But there are some situations where people close to you are bringing up logical and good questions, but those questions, you need to move past that resistance. Because if you're always trying to make everyone happy, you'll never be happy. You know how that works. And, and this, this idea of when God's given you a mission, and situationally, there can be times when people who love you the most question that, and and, and that should slow us down. I'm being very careful with my words right now because some of you may be blowing by helpful advice. But in this situation, Jesus, Jesus knew the Father had called him. And 
The question actually helped the process. Like, if John hadn't asked the question, we wouldn't have as much clarity as we did today. You know, Paul Jackson, who's, who's De- Deborah's husband, there, there's been no one who's helped my ministry more than Paul. Really. I mean, people have helped it as much, but no one more than Paul. I mean, he's, he's a wise advisor, and he, he's so smart, and he's been CEO of companies, and then he comes up and he'll change a light bulb if he needs to because he's a humble, humble man like that. And so when we were thinking about coming to this church, we merged two church plants and came to this church. Every one of us was excited. The little core of us at Station Camp Middle School, we were like, oh, this is great. We're tired of setting up chairs. And man, that building's awesome up there on Calendar Lane or what's now Drake's Creek Lane. Everybody was excited. And Paul started asking me questions I didn't want to hear about risk management. Okay? And they were good questions, and we moved on anyway. And yet, now here we are 12 years later, and, and he's, he's one of my greatest help and supporters. So here's the thing. Like John the Baptist is asking important questions to Jesus, and it's resistance he had to move through. But sometimes the people ask you the most important questions, and I wasn't irritated at that time, but hypothetically, we could be irritated, like, don't ask me that. I don't want to think about the risk. I don't want to think about, you know, what could happen or what could occur. Sometimes those people are the ones who will align with you for the distance. Hey, man, it's easy to have cheerleaders. Cheerleaders come and cheerleaders go. Friends sometimes challenge the process, but they stay with you to the end. And I think about this is that um, now, bringing it back to, to you guys today, getting unstuck. Um, as as the, the title of the sermon is, setting things in order. Don't let that one voice be the only voice that stops you. Move to what God's called you to do. Here's the third thing, willingness or willing to receive from the Spirit. Willing to receive from the Spirit. Verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The the heavens suddenly opened from him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. Hey, I just want to... As, you, as we're looking to Jesus as our example, we're looking to Jesus as the one we're following. Can I just say, don't be intimidated or scared of the Holy Spirit. Man, why are we so scared of the Holy Spirit? We're so scared of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to set things in order in your life. And yet we're resistant to the most helpful force in life we have. The Holy Spirit, who's our comforter, who helps us get through unimaginable pain. The Holy Spirit, who's our power, that helps us speak into situations when we would naturally be silent. Helps us to give insightful words where there are no naturally helpful words. The Holy Spirit helps us to say no to sin when we want to sin. 
and his power is there to anoint us to overcome that sin. He, he, he's there to teach us. He's there to teach us, like, don't do that again, Aaron. That was not a good thing to say. That was not a good place to go. That was not a good thing to do. And the Holy Spirit, because he loves us, he wants the best for us. Because the Holy Spirit is our friend, the Holy Spirit wants to participate in our life and wants to guide us and direct us. And this is how God wants to set things in order in your life. I just believe Christians are resisting the Holy Spirit and they're living in defeat. They're living in discouragement. There's no new revelation. The word of God's not fresh because they've cut off the Holy Spirit. A lot of it is pride. They're in pride. Like, I, I, you know, I just, I'm okay, I'm okay with the Bible, but not that Holy Spirit stuff. Who do you think wrote the Bible? The Bible's written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it Scripture. Scripture, it's not Scripture because those guys were smart. It's Scripture because the Holy Spirit was on them. The Holy Spirit anointed them. So, Lord, let's, let's be willing to receive from the Holy Spirit. I'm not ending the sermon now, but I just want to take this moment. Would you just pray with me right now? This is not the end of the sermon. Holy Spirit, we're willing. Don't be thinking about the church service. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your life. Start talking about the Holy Spirit. Some of you get too excited about the church service, and you ought to be focused on you. Holy Spirit, come. Let's just, just as an individual, invite the Holy Spirit to lead you right now. Teach me, comfort me, Holy Spirit. Make me willing to receive. If Jesus received the approval of the Holy Spirit, so should we want that. All right. Amen. Let's move. We'll move forward to the last point. Whenever I give you a four-point sermon, you know, that's extra credit. <laughs> move towards the Father's loving approval. The Father's loving approval. Matthew 3.17, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son, the one I love. There's no greater realization, understanding, revelation than the Father's love. You see, our world sees a God a God who is mean and vindictive and harsh. But we, by grace, see that we are the beloved. We are those loved on by God. We're not restricted by God. God is not one who's looking for us to do something wrong. He's not looking to punish us. We're beloved of God. He set his love upon us. That's what it means to be loved. Be loved, like beloved, be loved. You are loved by God. This is, this is the gospel. This is the greatest thing I could tell you. That's why you're not stuck. That's why you are moving forward. That's why in his love, there are no sideway years. In his love, he can even take what 
Tim Sanders called sideway years, and he can make those years beautiful because God doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste experiences. God, he takes that, which we may call ugly and we may call bad and we may call like, like uh, a mistake, and he'll, he'll take those and he'll make them something beautiful. That's what the resurrection's about. Hey, the resurrection isn't so much about Easter. The resurrection is about your life. Resurrection power. God resurrecting the dead places in your life. God resurrecting the forgotten places in your life. God bringing heat to the cold places in your life and, and, and transferring the energy of his spirit. And this is what God does for you through Jesus Christ. Speaking of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 42.1. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. The nations, that word means ethnic groups or people groups. It's not just talking about the 250 or so nation states we can mention. It's talking about every ethnicity, every group, every subgroup, like to all people, to all ethnos. God is bringing his justice. He is bringing his justice, making things right, setting things in order. If God's setting the nations in order, guess what? He can set you in order. If God is setting the cosmos and the universe itself, your problem isn't too big for him. Your challenge is not something he can't overcome because you're the beloved of God. I want to invite our ushers to begin to prepare to distribute communion because on this Sunday, we're all going to, those who choose are going to partake of communion. We won't leave our seats, but communion will come our way. And every single one of you who believes in Jesus, you're welcome to take the bread and to take the cup. And on this particular Sunday, we're going to hold those and we're going to pray together and we're going to take them in unity as a body. As I tell you, every week, sometimes Christians choose not to take communion, so you're not obligated to take communion. You can certainly let that pass, but you are welcome. You are welcome because we don't come to the Lord's table out of perfection. We don't come out of, we don't come to the Lord's table out of self-righteousness. We come to the Lord's table because of the grace of our God. I want to read this scripture that summarizes the gospel out of Acts chapter 10 starting with verse 37, and this is self-explanatory, but I hope you're encouraged by this scripture. It'll, it'll, it'll set your heart right before we go to the Lord's table. You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him 
receives the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel right there. That's the gospel summarized. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin.